It starts with the gut. It ends with the gut. It's in your gut. Gut Talks. Hi, I'm Jeff Abbott, and you're listening to Gut Talks. Double G, U, double T. Hi, everyone. I'm Maria, and welcome to season three of Gut Talks. Double G, U, double T, a podcast about business, design, and gut feelings. We release a new episode every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And this is the new twist of season three. I started Gut Talks a couple of years ago to educate, spread some karma on the board, connect, reconnect, or learn from awesome entrepreneurs, industry leaders, and investors. I feel we're growing by the day, thanks to your feedback and everyone who's been on the show. By the way, there are no sponsors, but a like, a share, a comment, and hitting the subscribe button would mean a lot. Now let's get started. Jeff Abbott is a partner at Blitzscaling Academy and Blitzscaling Ventures. And he's an entrepreneur, ecosystem builder, investor, and teacher. You're a, a PhD holder as well. And you've lived internationally as well, not only in the US. Thank you so much for being here, Jeff. And I want to kickstart this one with a question for you. I heard in one of your talks, you were saying that, okay, you were coming to talk about um you know, blitzscaling and the framework and so on. And you mm-hmm. said, you're not trying to say that whatever works in the US is going to work necessarily going to work somewhere else. It's not the case. So what are the key observations and some of the patterns you've noticed in this regards? So with regard to what we're doing at, at Blitzscaling Academy and Blitzscaling Ventures, we've really tried to crystallize the points that are made in, in the book, Blitzscaling, into an investment and company building framework. And so we've created a, a number of tools, a canvas and a scoring grading tool, just like other corporate strategy frameworks that are out there, like the Porter's Five Forces model or the BCG cash matrix. Many of the famous frameworks from over the decades that people use to think about business problems, we've converted blitzscaling into a series of tools like that, that we hope allows us to objectively look at any company either as an investment opportunity, so looking through Crunchbase or PitchBook data, looking at company after company, we believe we have an objective and repeatable process for evaluating the ability to scale of that business model. And you know, on the Blitzscaling Academy side, we have a series of tools like a business model canvas equivalent where we can sit with the founders of a company and, and work through a series of exercise with them to help them uncover the strengths and weaknesses in their business model's ability to scale, and then try to help them identify a number of strategies or tactics that they might be able to put in place to see, does this improve their overall ability to scale? So with that as sort of the backdrop of what we're doing and the way that we apply blitzscaling, of course, the ability to scale in the US, you said it's the market that everyone looks up to, maybe not for political reasons, but simply for scale reasons. The fact that it's a single, large, integrated market with 350 million consumers with a single legal system, a single language, the English language, that allows a company to scale potentially very rapidly. In contrast, whether you're in Africa, Latin America, or Europe, which are, or even Southeast Asia, where there's a similar number of consumers, where there's you know equally large opportunities and perhaps even higher growth rates like in the case of Southeast Asia you have the the situation of the fragmented market right so it's not necessarily possible to work in the entire region in a single language so the next step from there that we would look for is say well where are some other 
large markets that exhibit some of these characteristics. And so that's where you would end up with, well, there's Brazil. We're very bullish on Brazil, 210 million people all speaking Portuguese, potentially the ability to move into, you know, Angola or Portugal. It's a single market. It very much has its own characteristics and Brazilian startups could quite easily move into a Spanish language and continue to scale through Latin America. Other markets that are very large that have the ability to blitz scale a company within their borders would be perhaps Indonesia. Uh, similarly with 200 million people, India, of course, 1.4 million people. Now, in both of those cases, there's the situation of much lower GDP per capita. So the overall market size opportunity is, is not commensurate to the U.S. on a person-per-person basis due to the, the large differences in, in GDP per capita. And of course, Europe has many markets capable of getting started a blitzscaling company, but not usually finishing the job, which is why, you know, our friends in Estonia, for example, the land of the unicorns, where there's more unicorns per capita, they typically have a pattern of, you know, getting started there, then quickly moving to London and becoming a part of that ecosystem, raising capital there, putting everything in English, turning Estonia into kind of back office shop, and then, you know, proceeding from there to scale through the UK, through Europe, and then to America. So there's definitely a pattern that exists or that should exist depending on where you're starting and where you need to get to. So an an American company can scale to great size and internationalizing is sort of that extra 20 or 30% that you might get five years down the road. Whereas for a company originating in a much smaller market, they need to be thinking about that almost immediately. You mentioned different markets. I want to ask you because Dubai is becoming quite prominent. We didn't touch on this uh market of the MENA region and Arabic-speaking countries. Is this something that you guys have on the map somehow? The reason why I'm asking is because you mentioned, you know, Brazil, and it's quite a big population Mm -hmm. that speaks Arabic in different, like, continents, basically. Yeah, absolutely. So we we actually have a program that we call the Blitzscaling Ventures Fellows Program, Mm -hmm. which is an opportunity for people with an interest in the venture capital space to work with us as sort of part-time analysts. It's a uncompensated position with a very low time commitment where we essentially bring people in who live in different regions or countries that we're interested in. And we provide them some training about blitzscaling and how we use blitzscaling to evaluate companies. And then we work with them to better understand investment opportunities in those markets. And then we do have several fellows in different MENA markets, particularly in Dubai, who help us look at the companies that are coming every month that are receiving funding. And I think MENA falls into that same category. It's a a very large market that I believe is 300 some million people all speaking Arabic. And so it represents a very large sort of self-contained Arabic language speaking market where it suffers is the same challenges of fragmentation of markets that, you know, you might find in in Latin America, where many, many countries similarly speak Spanish, but they tend to be limited in their population and changing to the next country requires you to deal with an entirely different legal framework and financial regime and and so on, which creates a great deal of friction in terms of the organizational and operational scalability of the companies. And so in the case of Dubai, certainly that's the regional financial center that, that seems to be the source of most of the companies that are scaling 
maybe the easiest place to locate a company that wants to scale to the rest of the region. You mentioned Saudi Arabia. There's a great deal of activity there, as you say, new venture funds, Saudis investing. However, at least from the, the point of view of the US, there is a, a degree of stigma yeah. around accepting money from a Saudi investor into a US mm-hmm. fund or necessarily investing in the country simply due to the, the recent human rights situations. And, mm-hmm. you know, the I guess what you might describe as the strong degree of, of autocracy, which adds some political risk to the the investment, not just in, in Saudi, but you know anywhere where those conditions prevail, where the government can act unpredictably to the detriment of investors. But we do definitely follow the region and have made several visits there to Doha, Qatar, to Dubai, to Riyadh in my case, mm-hmm. have had a number of conversations with founders there. We still haven't invested yet, but there's nothing to suggest that we wouldn't for the right opportunity. Yeah, I just want to touch on Vision Fund. At the end of the day, the Saudis did invest in the Vision Fund and more than one. And then the money went back to the US in a way, like to Japan, right? Mm. Like we were. So it's very difficult to control, I guess, the initial source. But I guess it's like in terms of a brand for a country. I mean, this is beyond what I'm interested in, in anyways, in this chat. But, no, it's, uh, I think you, you raise a good point. You know, it, I've seen the sovereign wealth funds, and we do have a number of limited partner investors in our fund that come from the region. And it seems like most governments are making very concerted efforts to try to develop the ecosystem. They're supporting the creation of a local venture capital industry. They're creating accelerators and all of that same ecosystem building activity is taking place, which is really promising. However, most investors recognize that investing in the early days of, a, of an ecosystem and investing at the early stage are frankly not high probability success cases. And so I, I think what you see happening is governments like the Saudis or, or Dubai or even in, in Qatar, where I'm familiar, you have two sets of things going on. You have the purely financial investors, like at the level of the development bank or the sovereign wealth fund that are investing for purely firms. And those are the ones that are placing investments in the large firms in Silicon Valley, like the one you mentioned. And then they're also doing things at the ecosystem level that have a more strategic quality that the small funds are designed to sort of support the development of an ecosystem. They seek to invest in companies that have a very clear strategic tie to the country in the form of they have an office there or the founders might be from there or they're coming from somewhere else and they have many local customers, you know, that that somehow the investment is contributing to the strengthening of that ecosystem. And that's a strong part of their criteria. So, but I, I think these are, as they should be, I think they're separate efforts that the first one, the financial returns is obvious. Uh, the second one just takes time and patience to, to be successful. It starts with the gut. It ends with the gut. It's in your gut. Gut Talks. Thanks for listening. Subscribe, share, or like to get notified about the upcoming episodes of this segment and upcoming segments.